you have your Bibles with you, if you turn to Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> if you're new to Grace Church, we are in the middle of a study of the book of Romans. Uh, it's our habit to study through books. We do pause that habit every once in a while, Easter, Christmas, um, things like that. But normally we are studying through books of the Bible and right now we are working our way through um, my favorite book in Scripture, uh, the book of Romans. I've said before and I'll say again, if you understand the book of Romans, you'll understand the Bible. If you understand the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews, you'll really understand the Bible. Right? So, systematic presentation of, of the gospel of Christ and of the salvation that we have and the difference it makes in our lives and what he's done in every soul that he has saved from the garden to uh, the new heavens and new earth. Well, we're in chapter 6. This morning we'll look at verses 1 to 4. I'm going to read verses 1 to 11 to set it in context and then we'll move forward. In response to grace abounding over sin's increase, we saw in the end of chapter 5, in Christ Jesus, he says this in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who, were, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. <clears throat> For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to know the truth, to know it intellectually, to know it experientially, to know it salvifically, to know you, to trust you, to rest in you, to believe you, to believe your word and what your word says about us, not what our circumstances say about us, not what our feelings say about us, but what your word says about us. If we're not in Jesus Christ, what it says about being lost. If we are in Jesus Christ, what it says about being saved. 
You teach us and give us the humility to embrace what you have given us in your word that we might love you and live for you, that we might both glorify you and enjoy you and grow in it till the day we die or the day you return. May we be faithful to you because you have been so faithful to us. So we bow before you this morning and just pray. Teach us from your truth. Empower me to preach your word. Empower us to hear your word. May the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do as your word goes forth. So we lay ourselves at your feet. We pray for your blessing on the preaching and on the hearing of the word of God. And we trust you for it, knowing your word never returns to you void. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. The past shapes the future. That's from an ad on Ancestry.com. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? These are vital questions. And it can be fun to see people trace out their family tree, trace their genealogy, or to trace your own. Many times you find very surprising things in your family tree. Good things and not so good things. It's funny how many people do this and find out they're descended from royalty. But... (laughs) But see, people do this. Yes, let's they enjoy it, but they want to know their heritage. They want to know who they are. They want to know where they came from. And many in doing that are trying to find purpose and direction. Today, I want to, and I, Paul points us to, God points us to, I want to point us to our past. What happened in our past will truly shape how we live today and in the future. Who am I spiritually? Where did I come from? What is my purpose? Am I able to accomplish it? See, tracing your physical family history is fun and can be encouraging. But you don't really need to know your past to live your life. But knowing your spiritual heritage in Christ is absolutely vital to living well for Christ. In the present. See, we are studying through the book of Romans, and I'm going to give you a, just a little simple outline up to where we are um, using one word. The first, the first 17 verses introduction. 118 to 320, condemnation. All are lost and need a Savior. 321 through chapter 5, justification by faith alone. And now we begin in chapter 6 through chapter 8 talking about sanctification. We never separate the two, but we dare not confuse them. We better understand what they are. So today we start that section on sanctification, chapter 6 to 8. And we will see that knowing who we are in Christ is vital for living well for Christ. Living to both glorify and enjoy Him. 
So living for Christ, hear me, the grace always operates from the inside out. Legalism works from the outside in. But grace works from the inside out. So following Jesus, living for Jesus, always involves something to know before it involves something to do. Grace changes us, as I said, from the inside out. And today in verses 1 and 4, I, I, I want us to look at this, and I titled it Dead and Alive. The old posters, I wanted dead or alive. Well, I want you dead and alive. I want you to know who you are so that you can live in the power and the proper passion for Jesus knowing that you are both dead and alive. Maybe we'll make you a t-shirt or a hat you can wear that says dead and alive to remind you, and boy, wouldn't that be a great conversation starter. But this week, we're just going to kind of see as Paul gives the exposition of the doctrine, uh, we'll get more detail in it. I'm going to give you at least two shots. This is a part one on dead and alive so that you have time to be thinking about these things and meditating on these things and being reminded of these things. Because when is the last time you got up in the morning and said, I am dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus? Maybe it's been a while, but maybe from now on it'll be every day. As we remember the gospel in detail and how, what that means to us and how it changes us, who we are in Christ, knowing your identity. It's fundamental to knowing your purpose and therefore how you should live. Pretty simple main point, just two things really. Live for Christ by knowing you died to sin and were raised to new life in Him. Notice the past tense there. Live for Christ by knowing that you died to sin and were raised to new life in Him. Obviously, I'm talking to believers when I say that. We'll make that clear. But the first point, live for Christ by knowing that you died to sin in Him. This is really verses 1 to 4a. We have a question and an answer. And then we move forward from there. But it's a necessary question and answer. Look what Paul says. What shall we say then? What do you mean, Paul? What, what is he responding to? Remember that when, when the book of Romans or the epistle to Romans was written, there were no chapter divisions. There were no verse numbers. This is a letter to the church in Rome. So, you know, every time you see a chapter break, that doesn't necessarily mean there's a break in thought. Just realize that. Somebody was riding a mule, and every time they hit a bump, they changed the chapter and put a verse number down. No, some of them make more sense than that, but not always. But when he says, what shall we say then? He's, he's following on from what he has already said about two Adams, Adam and Christ, and, and how in Adam all die, in Christ are all made alive, and in Christ we have grace. So that in verse 20, when the law came, the law came in to increase the trespass, and where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So following right on the heels of that, he said, what shall we say then? What are we to say to that? How do we respond to that? How do we respond to God's grace? What's the right way to respond to God's grace? Now watch, he asks a question. And this question may have come from some accusations that he'd had from, from false teachers who did not like his preaching of the gospel, 
who thought the law was the answer to our sin, who, who accused Paul of, of being against the law and, not, and all of those things, which we know he's not, and we'll see that more and more as we go through Romans. But he asked this necessary question. How do we respond to God's grace? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So since, since as sin increased, grace abounded, shouldn't we just continue in sin so that grace can abound? That is the philosophy of a fallen heart. That's the philosophy of a heart that presumes on God's grace. Which motto might be something like, you know, it's a great arrangement. I love sinning and God loves forgiving, so... I'll just do it and ask for forgiveness later. A lot, lot of things. Shall, shall we respond to God's grace by continuing in sin? Shall we Christians, those who've truly come to faith in Jesus, give flippant response to grace? Either with our lips or with our lives, should we make little of sin because of we have such an abundant grace in Christ. Should we only think and talk about justification? After all, that's the encouraging part. Listen, there have been people and there have been movements, recent movements, that camped out right there in justification. They had a really robust doctrine and theology of justification <clears throat> and almost no understanding or, or theology of sanctification. You see, the fruit that was reaped in some of their lives from that. So not all that have been part of the gospel-centered movement have made that mistake, but a great number of them have, and even some of their leaders reaped the fruit. So sadly, some people do say, yes, that's fine with me. I won't worry that much about sin. After all, I'm forgiven. You've heard people say things like, I'll just take a cabin in the corner of heaven. What they, want, what they mean is I want as much of the world as I can get now and still go to heaven and not hell when I die. Should we be flippant about sin because grace abounds? Now, look how Paul responds to that question. By no means. You may have in your translation the old Hebrew idiom brought forward, God forbid... In the Greek language, this is the strongest negative reaction you could have. I mean, he probably would make an ugly face when he said it. By no means. That is real confusion. That is not the proper response to grace. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. Absolutely not. Don't you dare. What a dishonor to God and His grace in Christ Jesus. But remember, I've said He's talking to Christians this morning. He's laying out some objections and He's good at that and we'll see that happen throughout the book. And He gives a proper strong response to that. A strong no. But before I address the rest of the verse, let's think about what he doesn't do. Watch the text, and we'll talk about the law later. But Paul doesn't say, by no means, don't you know the commandments? 
Now, that's not improper, and that's done in other places in Scripture, but that's not his first focus. Remember, inside out, heart out. Grace changes, cleanses the inside of the cup before it cleans the outside of the cup. So see, Paul doesn't follow immediately upon that question with the law, but with identity. Things, not things to do right away. Remember, doing flows out of knowing and identity and who we are. But th- he follows it with things to know, things to remember, really. Identity, position, union with Christ. We're going to talk a lot about that a little bit today, more later. But he gives things to know, to be reminded of, to embrace. So he, he asks another shocking question. And this is a shocking question to to a lot of folks. Look at it. How can we, the we there, again, same we as in uh, the verse 1, we to continue in sin, same we, verse, he wrote the epistle to Christians. This is talking about believers, Paul and the rest of the believers. How do we, now watch this, this is the shocking part. Look at your Bible or look at the slide, look close at it, make it be all caps in your mind. How can we who, look, died to sin? We, he's in the form of a question, he's reminding, he's saying, how can we who died to sin, not will die to sin, How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? We, Christians, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? What does it mean to live in it? It means to love it, to choose it as a lifestyle, lifestyle, to still practice it with little or no concern. Like, you know, you want that ticket to heaven, but it really didn't change the direction of your life. I want to go to heaven when I die, but don't worry me about how I'm living. Because after all, 26 years ago, I prayed that prayer with that preacher in front of that church. And he told me never to doubt my salvation. You don't see that coming from the pen of the Apostle Paul. You can pray all the prayers you want to. And there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible, a pat one you have to pray. But when God saves a person, He changes them. If you haven't been changed, you haven't been saved. Paul says, we who died to sin, uh, how can we still live in it? How can we still love it? How can we still choose it as a lifestyle, an ongoing habit pattern that might help you? How can we still practice it with little or no concern? And we'll talk more about that later and what it means to to die to sin. But notice that it's just stated as a fact. We died to sin. And you might say, that's scary to me because I still sin. I understand. So does Paul. We'll get to chapter 7. So dying to sin doesn't mean you never slip or never sin. We'll, we'll, we'll see more about that. But how and when did we die to sin? And what does that mean? 
Because he, notice he doesn't spend a lot of ink on it right yet. He just says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Christian, you died to sin. How can you still live in it? Now watch, he's, he's going to give some more reminders. But first, how and when did we die to sin? He, look at this. He's, in other words, this is something we should know. He should, this is fundamental Christianity. Or it should be. Remember, we haven't, the church doesn't spend nearly as much time on sanctification as it does justification. Talking mostly about getting saved. Right? Look what Paul says. Do you not know? Can you see the implication there? You should know this. Do you not know that most of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Y'all better be paying attention. Oh, do you not know that all of us, there we go again. Who's the us? Christians. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So here's my answer. Are you holding on to your seat? When did I die to sin? When you were baptized. Oh, preacher, you better explain that. Come back next week. No. Look closer. You should know. You should know that all of us who were baptized, look at there, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. You have been baptized into Christ Jesus. You feel the tension? A lot of people have made a lot of mistakes about water baptism with verses like this. They put the power and the transformation in the wrong place. This is speaking about the reality behind water baptism. This is speaking about what the water baptism signs and seals, what it symbolizes and pictures, what it points us to. We know the power is not in the water. The cleanser is not the water. Any more than the power is in the bread and the cup when we do communion. But it points us to Christ in a deeper reality. That physical act is a proclamation of God's promises and grace that point us to the spiritual reality behind it. There's a relationship and a union between the sacrament or ordinance of baptism and the thing that it pictures. Sometimes they're spoken of as though one was the other. But we know what happens, thankfully, from comparing Scripture with Scripture. What our water baptism symbolizes and pictures and points us to is something that happened to us when we believed by God's grace. Something that happened in instantaneously. The Holy Spirit incorporates believers into the one body of Christ. The Holy Spirit makes us one with Christ. The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ. Look at uh, Shorter Catechism 30. 
asking it. Listen, you may not be familiar with catechisms, and you might think, why do you use it? It's, you do it all the time, whether you use a catechism or not. You ask a question and answer what the Bible teaches to that question. These just happen to be good time-tested questions, right? But it's just question and answer about what the Bible teaches. The Bible is the, one, the place where the authority is, not in the catechism. But it's just a teaching tool. But look at the really good question. How does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? So when Christ came and lived a perfect life, and then when He died to pay for the sins of His people, He drank that cup of wrath dry for His people. He went under the power of death for a time and was raised from the grave. He accomplished redemption for His people. But how do we get it? How, how does it come to us? Question 30, how does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby, look at that word, uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. Real quickly, effectual calling means in the context of the general call of the gospel. That's the general call. When I stand up and preach the gospel and I exhort every one of you to turn and believe in Christ. At just the right time in specific hearts, the Spirit then makes that effective. That proclamation effective regenerates that heart so that that person turns and trusts in Jesus. And this question is saying that's how... The Spirit applies the redemption to us by bringing us into the context of the gospel and making that gospel powerful such that we see our sin and our need of a Savior and we turn and we trust in Christ. It is the Spirit working faith in us. Faith is a gift of God. Conversion is a gift of God. Go read Ephesians 2, 8, 8 and 9. It's not of our works, but of His grace. It is a gift of God, the entire grace by faith salvation. And the Spirit applies the redemption purchased by Christ to us by working faith in us and therefore therefore uniting us to Christ, making us one with Christ. Look at that beautiful work of the Holy Spirit there to apply the gospel and bring God's children to faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we have that in another place in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. I've, I'm quoting here from the New American Standard um, because, it, because I think it got it right. I think King James has this. I know New King James has this. Some others. There's some questions about is it in, with, or by. Um, it, it's by. But in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says... For by one Spirit, the means, right, of the Holy Spirit. By one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And watch this. And we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one that unites us to Christ through that faith, we saw in the question that He works in us. The one who baptizes us into Christ, who immerses us into Christ, who, who connects us to Christ, the vine to the branch, so that there's life. And we're going to talk more about union with Christ. 
But that's what we see going on here in Romans. Do you not know, know that all of us who were, have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ Jesus. And that is signified by the water baptism that we, portray, that we do. And when we come to faith and we come to baptism and we give testimony that this has happened in our life and God works in it and through it to confirm and grow others' faith and, and seal it and make promises, all sorts of things going on with baptism. But by one spirit, we were all united to Christ and therefore all made one body. We were all baptized into one body. So I'm going to scare my wife now with an illustration. And I might be going to scare you because this is half full of water. Somebody said, oh no. If you're new to Grace Church, these people know me. I can knock things over really easy. I'm going to try not to do that. But just as a picture of what goes on before Christ, Isaiah says, our sins are like crimson. The Word of God teaches us that not only is the outside of the cup, us, sinful and dirty, but the inside, and that's the best I could do with a marker, is full of all manner of corruption. We're dead in sin. We're enemies of God. We're going our own way. We want nothing to do with Christ or the gospel. But God sovereignly interrupts our course and brings the gospel into our life and works faith in us, and through that faith unites us to Christ. We'll talk more about it next time, our old man's crucified with Christ. Now remember, we've been talking about justification. So what does the first thing God do? He pardons us, He cleanses us from our sin. What did Isaiah say? Though your sins be like crimson, they shall be white as snow. And that's from the inside out that God cleanses. We come to trust in faith, trust in Christ through the preaching of the gospel and the work of the Spirit such that we are united to Christ. We are, the Scripture says that we died and our lives are hidden with Christ and with God. So the Spirit unites us to Christ, immerses us into Christ. And Christ, being full of the Spirit, fulfills Mark 3, 8 and other places and baptizes us with the same Spirit. So we're now filled with the Spirit. But Paul's point in union, we've moved beyond justification. Justification, Christ came to live a righteous life. He died for our sin, was raised, and is seated in heaven. But now because we've been united to Him and hidden in Him, this is true of us. In our position in Christ, we, our record before the judgment bar of God is that we lived a perfectly righteous life. We've been cleansed from our sin and clothed in His righteousness. We're not a dirty cup anymore. We're a clean white cup that's filled with the Spirit that has a new heart, that has everything necessary for life and godliness with the Word. But this is your position, and that's what Paul's getting at. Before you think about what to do, 
know who you are. Being united to Christ, you are perfectly righteous before the judgment bar of God. Now watch the rest of it. You have died to sin. When and how? When Christ died. You are raised to life. When and how? When Christ was raised. In Ephesians 2, you are seated in the heavenly places. When and how? Because Christ is seated in the heavenly places and you are in union with Him if you're trusting Him. See, Paul wants us to know who we are. Old person, lost person, filthy rags clothed person, died with Him. Now, new creation, cleansed and clothed and filled with the Spirit of Christ. Righteous, died to sin, raised to life, seated in This is who you are if you're trusting in Jesus. I know you don't feel that way. I know you don't always act that way. But if God's at work in you, you are growingly owning this and therefore acting more like Jesus. Get it? You're not who you think you are. And that's a really good thing. But we have to be humbled by the gospel before we come to faith in Jesus and we're willing to rest in Him. Paul wants us to own who we are before he goes on to give us exhortations about what to do. Don't look to your feelings to see if this is true. And don't look to your circumstances to see if this is true. Don't look to your performance to see if this is true. Look to the Word. Look to the Gospel. Look to Christ and know that if, you've, if the Spirit has worked faith in your heart in the preaching of the Gospel, that on the basis of that faith, you are, you are, or through that faith, you are united to Christ Jesus. On the basis of Christ, then, sacrificial death, you are cleansed from your sin. And on the basis of His righteous life, you are credited with His righteousness so that you're righteous before the judgment bar of God. See, that's already been taken care of for you in your justification. But in your sanctification, He wants you to know that there's more. Not only did, is that all true, but being united to Christ, you have died to sin been raised to life and it is though the work is finished because you're seated in the heavenly places in him I'm going to stop scaring my wife now and I'm going to set this down maybe I'll turn it around so you can some of you can still see some of that now go back to Romans 3 do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Look on in verse 4. We were buried. Ooh, what, who gets buried? Unless it's some really torqued person doing this to living people and he should not do that. We bury dead people. Why did they bury Christ? He really died. He died for our sins. And you were buried with him. We were baptized into his death. We were, no, this same we, Christians, those who are trusting in Christ. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. That spirit connects us to Christ, makes us one with Christ, so that everything, we're not deity. 
short of his deity. Everything as a mediator, everything as the second Adam that is true of him is now true of us. Righteousness. Forgiveness. Death. Life. Ours. So the burning question. I see it, Pastor. But again, what does it mean to be dead to sin? Well, first of all, what it doesn't mean. To be dead to sin doesn't mean that my performance is perfect now. That, that will happen when you're glorified. And I didn't ask your wife, but you're not glorified yet. Anybody who thinks they're glorified has a real problem. And we need to be doing some counseling. That's pride, not truth. <laughs> Right? So it doesn't mean we're dead to sin's presence. But what it means to be dead to sin, it means to be dead to sin's reign. Remember verse 21 of chapter 5? As sin reigned in death. What does Ephesians 2 tell us? That we were under the domination of sin. That we were following the prince of the power of the air. We were under the dominion of darkness before we came. And we liked it that way. If you love sin, there's still a problem in your heart. So to be dead to sin is to be dead to the reign of sin. Before Christ, we were dead to the reign of sin. But now in Christ, here it is. Sin no longer reigns over us. Sin cannot make us sin. Now you, who remembers Flip Wilson? And you have to be older or torqued and watch old videos, right? The devil made me do it. No. Maybe if you're an unbeliever. But if you're a believer, you don't have that excuse. I couldn't help it. I don't know what happened. See, we do silly things like that because we don't understand the depth of our union with Christ and our position in Christ. And we don't live in and out of that truth. Sin no longer reigns over us. It no longer dominates us. We're no longer slaves of sin. We'll see that as we move on. We now have another master. Who is that? Jesus. Look, look in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. This is some of the things that Paul was giving thanks for and encouraging the Colossians to give thanks for. But in 13 and 14, he says this. He, God, He has delivered us. Notice the past tense. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Domain there means authority to rule. He's delivered us from the evil one's authority. He's delivered us from sin's authority to rule. Those no longer rule over us. Jesus died. And here, here's the convicting part. Jesus has given you everything necessary for life and godliness. When you sin, you can blame it only on you. Because you have everything necessary for life and godliness and the knowledge of God through the precious promises of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not saying you won't ever sin. And there's always a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We've got to get better at following it, right? 
But he has delivered us from Satan's tyranny and rule and from sin's tyranny and rule and transferred us into Jesus' kingdom. The truth of the matter, the matter that Paul is saying we should know and what he's presenting again and what he's going to expand on. If you've got more questions, good. We're going to answer more of those later. Do you not know that all of us who have been, think this way if you need to, united to Christ, brought into union with Christ, were baptized or brought into union with His death. We have died to the rule of sin in our lives. We died when we came to faith in Jesus. We'll see that later as we move on in the text. Baptism is a burial service for the old man and a proclamation that the new one lives because of God's grace in Christ. Number two, look at this. This one's shorter. Live for Christ by knowing that you have been raised to new life in Him. Again, that's not much of this left, but that's where we're going to stop today. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that. Whenever you see that in Scripture, that or in order that, there's a purpose, there's something God's accomplishing here through this. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we to might walk in newness of life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory or the power of the Father, we were raised with Him and therefore we can walk. That might there doesn't bring it into question, right? There's a subjunctive in John 3.16. There's no question about it. It's different uses of it. If you don't know what I mean, don't worry about it. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too walk in newness of life. First of all, I just point out in passing, you can see again another place where the resurrection is absolutely part of the DNA of Christianity. It's the fun foundation. If there's no resurrection, the gospel is not true. But I dare you to try to prove there's no resurrection. Because the weight of the historical evidence far exceeds what's necessary to show that Christ raised from, the, raised from the dead and it changed the people that came into contact with him. But let's don't play church. It's either true or it's not. It's true. He was raised. Amen. And on that basis, he commands all people everywhere to repent. You get no points for just coming here today. Right? We should be coming here out of love for God to worship him and be grown in grace or hopefully even if we thought we were not saved by him. But now look. Look, look back at this verse in the, second, the end of verse 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, insert, so were you if you're trusting in him. And the purpose was that we might walk in newness of life. See, baptism is also the inauguration ceremony for the new person in Christ. We have died to sin's dominion and we've been raised to new life. So what is this newness of life? The life of sanctification. It's the life of growth and grace. It's the life of truly and faithfully following Christ, of admitting it when you fall and aiming back on the track. 
It's the life of the new creation in Christ. New creation comes back in the life of Christ and in us in union in Christ. We'll see that in a minute. But this newness of life is a life of repentance, if you want to put it that way, and of faith. But here's our definition again of sanctification. Remember, renewed and enabled. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. We're not the old man anymore, but the new one. We need to line up with that. And enabled more and more. The more we grow in Christ, the more that we know His Word, the more He's at work in us and patient with us. Aren't you glad God doesn't dump the truck on us all at once and tell us exactly how sinful we are? More and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. If the Spirit's in us, we will be putting sin to death. We'll see that in chapter 8. We'll talk more. But right here in this, in this text that we're looking at, in, in, in Romans chapter 6, this is speaking more of what Murray called the definitive sanctification, that definitive break with the power of sin, the reign of sin when we come to faith in Jesus, which then is followed upon by this progressive sanctification or growth in grace. Listen, if I say words sometimes you don't understand, write them down and ask me about them. But if you want to just be told everything you understand, you're not growing Part of growing is coming across things we don't, if you don't, you know, read books you don't understand, mark things you don't know, learn from them. But sanctification is simply that growth in grace that we've uh, talked about. But these are Bible words. Salvation is justification, sanctification, glorification. God's work in us. He began it. He will finish it. We're talking about that, that sanctification portion. But God works growth. I'll bring it down. God works growth in every soul that he saves. Remember, we're united to, we're baptized into, we're united by the Spirit into the whole Christ. His perfect life, His forgiveness, His death and resurrection for our sanctification. Now, right now, child of God, if you're trusting in Jesus, you have the power for new life. It, you have no excuse for your sin. I don't say you won't commit them, but we just need to humbly go before the throne of grace and confess it. But we don't have any excuse for it. We have the power to live this new life because we have died to sin in Christ and been raised to newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, y'all know this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is just an old sinner saved by grace. You are a sinner saved by grace, but you're much more than that, right? You are a saint. Paul called the, sinner, the believers in Rome saints. That doesn't mean they did a miracle or had any special thing about their life. All Christians are saints. But look at what this says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You say, I don't know if I believe that. That's your problem. Old saying, God said it, that settles it. Not God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. God said it in His Word, that settles it. Now believe it. 
You are a new creation if you're trusting in Jesus. You've been forgiven for all your sins, clothed in His righteousness, united with Him in His death and resurrection. You have the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God at work in you, the same power that raised Him from the dead. You have the Word of God filled with the promises of God and He says you have everything necessary for life and godliness and growing in that godliness. Right? We're not glorified yet. But we make far too many excuses. And we, but we set the bar way too low in our Christian life. Own the fact that you are a new creation. You're a new creature in Christ. We'll talk more about this later. You don't have two natures as a Christian. You are a new creature with remnants of sin that you have to be putting to death. But you're not schizophrenic. Okay? You, he didn't mix any words here. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Sin's dominion over you has been broken if you're in Christ. You died to sin in Him. It's reign over you. Also, you are free to live for God's glory more and more as His Spirit works in you. I mean, did y'all do, do y'all do this? I can remember as I was growing up, there were so many marks on the, on the trim of the door. Four years old, five years old, six years old, seven years, no. <laughs> because we are alive, we grow, normally speaking, right? And if we're spiritually alive, there should be some of that more and more in your life, growth in grace, because you were raised to new life in Christ. Yes, it takes fighting for it, mortifying it, putting it to death. But you will grow in holiness if you are a Christian, if you are in Him, and you are in Him if you're trusting Him. See, Christ died to provide a full redemption. He lived a perfect life under His own law. He fulfilled all righteousness. And then He took our guilt on Himself and He paid the penalty for our sin that we might be cleansed of our sin completely. Remember the, the picture of the white cup? That we might be filled with His Spirit, clothed with His righteousness, and that we might know that we've been united to Him in His death, burial, and resurrection so that we can live for Him. What did He say? Follow me. He lived a life of holiness, and He calls us to follow Him down that path. And listen, if we've really gotten the gospel... And the more we really get the gospel, the more gratitude that will be in our hearts because of Christ's sacrifice for us. The more love, therefore, we will have for Him. And what does He say about those who love Him? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you don't know Jesus this morning, turn, repent. Stop following what you think is right and going your own way and rationalizing and justifying your sin. Turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive Him as your full and free salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He rose the third day. And that salvation is a free gift to us. Are you trusting in Him this morning? If not, trust in Him this morning. And this will all be true of you. We will have hope beyond this life.
But God sacrificed his son and he raised him from the grave, Acts 17, 30 and 31. And based on that, he commands you, look at me, he commands you to repent and trust in his son. And Christian, stop making so many excuses. Stop letting yourself off so easy. Dig into who you are in Christ. And that's how I'll finish. Two points of application. And I'm speaking to the Christian here. Christian, believe that in Christ you died to sin. Because it's true. Because that's what the Word of God says. You say, but I don't and I do. do." Stop it. The truth of the Word doesn't depend on what you do. If you're in Jesus, that's why you do what you do. If you're in Jesus, you died to sin's rule over you. You now take it seriously. You grieve over it. You hate it. You want to be free from it. That's fruit of God's work in our lives. But listen, rehearse this good news. You died with to sin with, with and in Christ. Rehearse that good news. Memorize these verses. Believe God. Listen to me. The battle is for your mind first. We can't clean up the outside of the cup so that we're ready to go to Him and get the inside clean. But boy, when by His grace we came to Him, it was all cleaned and clothed. And we died with Him and we were raised. But start believing God. You died to the reign of sin. If you own who you are, you'll begin to live differently. If a millionaire puts a million dollars in your bank account but you don't believe it, you're not going to write any checks on it, are you? But if it's really too, I'll confess my own situation. If it's really too true, I'm going to start writing some checks. Hopefully I'll write good ones for good things. But listen, your spiritual bank account is full. It's full. No lack. For what God calls you to be. I'm not, I'm not health and wealth in you this morning. Everything necessary for life and godliness you have in Jesus Christ. Believe it. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world or the thinking of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our minds have to be transformed before our lives are truly transformed. And the transformation that should be happening this morning is us further owning the fact that in Christ we died to sin and we've been raised to new life. And that's the second point. Christian, believe that you have been raised to newness of life. You are a new creation. You have a new heart. Therefore, you have new desires and you have new power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And you have the perfect and refined word of God. You have everything necessary for life in godliness. But you must know. And when I say know, I mean not just know about, but believe. Count on the fact that you are in Christ in order to be what He wants you to be. And in Him you have died to sin. You have been raised to newness of life. And all of these new creation things I'm speaking over you are true. And it's all because of your union with Jesus Christ. So listen to me. Look at me. Stop listening to the world, the flesh, and the devil who are always seeking to lie to you 
and keep you from the truth that is yours about who you are in Jesus. You are a new creation, new heart, everything necessary. Listen to me. We fight sin, yes, but we fight it from a position of strength. And that position of strength is who we are in Jesus. Perfectly righteous, dead to sin, raised to life, seated in heaven. That's who we are in Christ. Your identity is that. Your position is that. Therefore, go and live. So you have answers to these questions. Maybe not in your physical life, but in your spiritual life. Who am I? I'm a new creation. What is my purpose? To glorify and enjoy God forever. Where am I going? New heavens, new earth. Do I have the power to live for Him? Yes, and in growing measure as you own who you are in Jesus. Because it's all because of and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll spend more detail on that next week. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I prayed this before, but I pray it again. Help us to believe you. Help us to believe your word. Help us to stop billy-goating. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. No yeah, buts. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. We died to the reign of sin. We've been raised to newness in life. We have everything necessary for life and godliness. So help us to believe you, to trust you, and to make, as Peter says, every effort to grow in grace. Lord, I thank you for this section. I thank you for the way it challenges our thinking and our acting. And I pray that in the coming weeks you'll just continue to strengthen us with your truth that we might be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for any listening to me who aren't trusting you, that they would repent of their sins and trust in Christ. I pray for all of us who are trusting you, but we just maybe not sure of these things, that you would grant surety because it is your word. The Spirit has united us to Christ through faith. Thus we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Help us to believe it. We thank you for your grace and mercy. And we pray it all and trust for it all. We know this is your will. We trust you to work in us. Revive us, refresh us, renew us, grow us, shine through us. And use us to reach this lost and floundering world all around us. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.